0: I've been praying two things about this morning, and the first is that this gathering, on site and online, will glorify God. And the second is that I don't cry during this sermon. Man, I've been crying like every week. Uh, Got to cut that out. Um, today we are, as you just saw in that video, we are examining this question of why church? Why do we gather? Whether online or on site. Why church? You know, your leaders, the Highland leaders, have challenged you to be church. Uh, when you walked in this morning, those who are on site, you saw this awesome chalk art. We'll post this on our social media for those who are online this week. Hannah Thrasher, our youth minister, and Georgia Hatcher, one of our seniors, teens, drew this Be Church logo out front. Did y'all see that as y'all came in? It says, love, grow, worse. That was awesome, right? That was cool. Super cool. Your leaders have challenged you to be church wherever you are, in every place, as we read from Paul in 1 Corinthians. And today, though, we ask that, really the second question, the follow-up to that instruction, and that is, why? Why church? Why church? And this morning, I wanted to pause for just a second, because as I've thought about this, you know, these eight months, almost, that we have been apart physically... It occurs to me that not everyone has made it back here on site. And I don't just mean not everybody can be in this room right now. There are those who, for obvious reasons, health reasons, vulnerable, need to be at home right now, absolutely. But you know that we have lost some of our family in this season. And they won't be here with us on site. But we read about in Hebrews 12 is that they have joined that great cloud of witnesses like John of Patmos, reaching out to those churches he's distant from. We believe in this moment they're worshiping with us. But I just want a second, want to for a second think about those we've lost. They happen to all be brothers in Christ in this season. We lost our brother Reggie Crawford Sr. <clears throat> we lost our brother Freddie Price. We lost our brother William Dwayne Merritt, W.D. Merritt. And then this week we lost another brother, Dave Ketchin due to COVID-19. And so as we dig into this question of why church this morning, can we just stop and pray with those brothers on our hearts and believing that they're a part of that great cloud of witnesses right now that are worshiping with us. But let's stop, let's have them in mind, and let's go to God in prayer. God, I'm thankful for your body. Where would we be without the body of Christ on this earth? I'm thankful for those four men who led faithful lives of service to you. God, we lament there is this human sadness to lose them from this fellowship here. But God, we celebrate because we believe they have indeed gone on to their reward and glory. And that they, though they're not here with us in person, physically, that they are here with us by the power of your spirit, God, and we rejoice in that. God, in this moment, as we dig into your word, God, I pray that you would, through these ancient words, bring a word for your body this morning. And to that end, God, I pray personally that you would release me from the burden I sometimes feel to dazzle with my words, to impress with my stories, to get laughs. God, this is not about me, and I pray that Jesus would be magnified in this moment, that he would be greater and I would be less. And we pray in his name, in the name of Jesus, amen. A couple years ago, I walked down the street, it was early one morning. I walked down the street, we lived down the street from White Station Middle School, and I walked down there early, this was before school started, and I come up over the little rise that leads up to White Station Middle School, and there's a line of cars of parents dropping off their kids for school, the line's wrapping around the block. And there's school buses unloading dozens of kids at a time, and all the kids are laughing and playing and catching up before the bell rings to start school. And in the middle of all that commotion, I see by the flagpole Seth Coker. Now, Seth is one of our HYG students. This was a couple years ago. He was in eighth grade at the time, I think. And I see Seth just standing there quietly by the flagpole. And I've come to see this because Seth has volunteered, like many other Highland students do, once a year, to lead You at the poll at his school. And, you know, most of you probably know what CU at the poll is. See you at the poll is a, is a time where students gather at their schools to pray for each other, to pray for the students they're living with and learning among, to pray for the teachers who will be with them that day. I mean, it's this incredible moment when teach when students, students come together to pray that their lives would glorify God and that by their example they might actually lead others, lead their peers to Christ. It's an awesome thing. And it is such an easy thing for me to talk about in church, you know, leading others to Christ, your life glorifying God. But can you imagine how difficult that is to talk about in middle school? Do you remember how terrible middle school is? How cruel middle schoolers are? Uh, how how important it is to you when you're in middle school to be really cool? Do you remember that? Okay, well well newsflash: it's not super cool to be the guy praying that your life will glorify God in middle school. That's not super cool. And there's Seth Coker; he's leading this time of prayer in front of all these hundreds of kids as they're making their way into the building. And Seth's standing there, and he does—he looks a little bit nervous. But slowly some other kids come until there's about 30 kids standing around him and see you at the pool is such an interesting phenomenon because it transcends all the social boundaries of middle school and high school. Now you've got these athletes who are with these uh, brainiacs who are with these you know, um, uh, other kids. I don't know what all the social boundaries are in middle school. And there are all these kids who are bound by one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And they were coming together, about 30 of them, around this pole. And they're all nervous because they recognize that this has potential to be social suicide. And they're looking over their shoulders to see if any of their friends see them there. And I'm watching this all unfold. And I can't believe it because there's Seth Coker in the middle of this crowd. All these people looking on, all of his peers looking on. And some of them are pointing at him. Some of them are laughing. And there's not a teacher in sight. No administrators put on, see you at the poll. This is all Seth in this moment. This is all Seth. And so I'll never forget, Seth opens up his Bible once those 30 or so kids are gathered around him. And he begins to read from the Bible, and it starts softly, and slowly his voice picks up. And, and then he closes the Bible, and he says, let's pray. And he begins this most beautiful prayer. And it's a prayer, first of all, for all these students who are gathered in this circle. And then he begins to pray for these students around him. Again, some of these students are pointing at him, mocking them for what they're doing in this moment. And I noticed as Seth was praying for them that even those students began to get quiet because I think they recognized the strange middle school way that they were standing on holy ground. And even they became quiet. And as I was watching Seth, I thought to myself, this is what it's about. This is what it's about. Let me take you to this story in the beginning of Mark. This is Mark chapter 1, verse 16. And in this story, Jesus calls his first disciples together. And I'm going to explain why this story is so relevant to our question of why church here in just a little bit. And I'm going to explain a bit how it connects to the Seth story. But let's just jump in here to the word of God, and then we'll begin to examine it a little bit more. This is Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. As Jesus passed along the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea for they were fishermen. Come follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and they followed him. And after going a little further, he saw James and John, Zebedee's sons, in their boat repairing their fishing nets. And at that very moment, he called them and they followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers. Just a few verses before this, Jesus is baptized into the Jordan River. You know, we talked about this last week. It's this incredible scene where Jesus walks into the Jordan River and John the Baptist receives him. And as John the Baptist lowers Jesus down into the water, God tears open heaven. And God's voice thunders out from heaven and he says, You're my son. I love you. And you, I'm well pleased. And we dove into that story. And if you're watching online, you haven't seen that yet, and you want to go back and watch it, it's on our website. We dove into that last week. And we talked about what the baptism of Jesus means for you and I when we are baptized. And I found out later last week that after Sunday morning worship service in one of our quarantines those are, you know, again, small groups of people who are worshiping together, quarantine. That's like a super awesome dad joke in my mind every time I say it. But uh, in one of our quarantines, one of the dads here at Highland, one of the young dads, he's got young kids here at Highland, decided he wanted to be baptized. And so his quarantine surrounded him in the swimming pool, and he was baptized. Now, I wasn't there for it. I don't know all the details. I hear there's a video, and if there is, I want to see that video. I wasn't there, but I'm sure of one thing, that in that moment he was baptized, that God looked down on him, and he said, this is my son. I love him. I'm so pleased in him. And that's good news. You know, this is a series about the good news of Jesus Christ. And the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ is that God looks at us the same way he looks at Jesus. And he sees in you and I who belong to him, his children. And he loves us and he's pleased in us. But that's just the beginning of the good news. It's not the whole thing. You know, if the, if the good news of Jesus is like a, like a news article that you read in the paper, that would just be the lead. That's just the opening lines. It really gets better than that. And so the question I'm wanting us to, to dive into today of why church begins with a question that precedes it. If the church is a gathering of people that God loves, following Jesus together, which we're going to see in a second, the, the question you have to ask first before you can ask why church is why does God love us? And like we talked about last week, there's kind of two ways to think about that question. The first would be on what basis does God love me? And that's a really simple answer. God loves me because he loves Jesus. God sees me as his child because he sees Jesus as his son. Okay, that's why God loves me. But if you think about the question a little bit differently, why does God love me in the sense of for what purpose does God love me? Then that leads us to where we need to go today. Why does God call us? Why does God look down on us and see us as his children and then call us to follow his son Jesus? Why does God love us in that sense? For what reason are we called? Does his love have any actual power to do anything with us for him? I'm coaching my uh, first grader, Noble. I'm coaching his first and second grade flag football team. And um, sometimes when they're out there, it somewhat resembles something like football. And, um, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about that some. And if thinking about this passage here in these opening scenes in the Gospel of Mark, if I was out there on the sidelines at this football game and I had my son on the bench, and I kept him on the bench the whole time, And I looked over at him every once in a while, and I said, Noble, I just want you to know I love you. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you, but stay right there on the bench. You know, would he actually feel my love? If I said, hey, man, (laughs) you're doing great right there. I'm proud of you. I love you a bunch, buddy. Would that love actually do anything to him? Here's the the reason I'm coaching flag football. I don't know a thing about flag football. We're 0-2. We're 0-2. Here's the reason I'm coaching flag football. Because I know how nervous he is about it. I know that he's scared of all these bigger boys and he doesn't really fully understand the game and it doesn't help that I'm his coach. And I'm coaching flag football because every game there comes this moment where I get to get down on my knee and I get to look at him in the face and I get to say, son, I want you to get out there and I want you to run so hard. And if, if you can, run in the right direction. And here's what I want you to know. The whole time you're out there, I'm going to be watching everything you do because I love you and I believe in you. So get out there. Right? And he just runs out, and it is such a delight to see. You know, that my love, speaking my love into his life, actually has this power to move him from this scared little boy on the bench to this kid who will just run out there take on the world. Let's look back at our passage this morning. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. Why church? Why church? Why do we come together, whether you're here on site with us or whether you're online with us? Why church? There's all kinds of ways that we can answer that question. Why church? Well, I, I, church, I go to church because we sing at church. Is that why? That's part of it. That's part of it. I'm a part of a church because we take the Lord's Supper together. We, that meal we take in the shadow of the cross, where we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's why church. Well, is that why? Well, that's part of it. You know, I go to church because that's where we one another, one another. You know, we love one another, we honor one another, we respect one another, we bear with one, another, one another's burden, and it's, and it's hard to one another, one another, without one another. You know? Maybe that's why. But even in all those things which are all so significant and so important, none of those are the why church. Okay? Those are all the what church. Those are all what we do when we gather as a church, but none of those are the why church they are all pointing to something else we do all of those things for some greater reason okay there is a greater reason why church and that's what this story invites us into here's two things i want you to see about this story let's throw it up there on the screen here come follow me he said and i'll show you how to fish for people this is the first calling of the disciples And the reason we're looking at this story this morning to answer that question of why church is because this is the first time that Jesus calls people together to follow him. And so if you were going to say what church is, you might describe it with a lot of things like we just did, okay? But I think probably the simplest definition of what the church is, is people who are following Jesus together. So here in this story, what we actually have is the Genesis, the beginning, the first steps of the church. This is the first time that people are called together to follow Jesus. And so let me point out two things about this passage. The first is brief. The second we're going to dig into. The first one is this. If you'll just leave it up there on the screen for a second. When Jesus says, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people, it's easy to miss something about that. He does not say, Simon, I want you to come follow me. Andrew, I think you're a great dude. you got a lot of potential. I want you to come follow me. James, come over here with me. Okay, That's not what he said. What he actually says, and it's a little bit difficult to see this in the English, and I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson here. What he actually says is in the second person plural imperative. I was terrible in English class. There's not going to be a test. Don't have to remember that. But what he actually says is, I want y'all to come follow me together. Hey, you guys, I want y'all to come follow me. Think about that for a second. The first calling of disciples of Jesus, the first time Jesus calls people to follow him, it is plural. In fact, I have thought a lot about it. And I have struggled to come up with a single instance in which Jesus calls people to follow him by themselves. I thought of a couple that may be qualifiers. You've got the the rich young man. Remember him? He thinks about following Jesus. Jesus tells him he's got to leave everything, give it all away, and then come follow him, and it doesn't work. Jesus calls him on his own, and it doesn't work. Uh, Just a few chapters later, we've got the calling of Levi. This is in chapter 2. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. Jesus calls him by himself. He says, come and follow me, just like he says to these guys. But in the very next scene, they're surrounded by what? Other tax collectors and sinners at the feet of Jesus. So apparently, Levi was not called by himself. Even the Apostle Paul, who starts as Saul, who's out persecuting the church, he's on his way to to Damascus. right? He's on the Damascus Road. This light blinds him. He sees Jesus. Jesus knocks him from his horse. He's blinded until he's taken somewhere. And he stays blind until another believer, Ananias, comes and restores his sight. And the first thing that Paul does is to go to be with other believers who end up saving his life, teaching them about the way of Jesus. I cannot find a single instance in which Jesus calls us to follow him by ourselves. At least one that works. And so if you're on site right now, this is something you recognize, I believe. But if you're online right now, let me talk to you for a second. If you're watching us, maybe you're in Kentucky or you're in Oklahoma. We're really big in Kentucky and Oklahoma, okay? Uh, maybe you're in Ukraine. Maybe you're somewhere else. Okay. Don't buy the myth that you can be spiritual on your own. Don't buy that myth that the world is feeding you, that you can follow Jesus on your own. That is a myth. It does not work. Every time Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to follow him with other people. It is always plural. And if you don't have a church home, I encourage you to sign up. You can go to a B church on our website at highlandcc.org. We've got options there for virtual groups. You know, Last week we watched this video about our virtual small groups and Sunday school classes. I'm, I'm zoomed out. I'll admit it. I'm a little bit zoomed out. But how awesome it is to be with brothers and sisters who are following Jesus together. You cannot do this on your own. I encourage you to sign up. And if it's not with Highland, I want you to find a local church and start going there. All right, that's the first thing I wanted to point out about this. When we're called to follow Jesus, we are always called to follow Jesus together. But even that is not the why of church. Again, that's what. What do we do? We follow Jesus together. So let's dig in again, and I want to show you the why. Jesus tells these first disciples, he says, come follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. But what he actually says is, come follow me, and I will make you to become Fishers of people. Okay. Um, It's not actually like a lesson he's giving us when we follow him and, and how to do something. What's actually happening when we follow Jesus together is that he is making us into somebody else. Now this is so good. This is so good. You know, we had that dad who was baptized last week. And like I said, when he was baptized, God looked down on him and he said, this is my son, I love you, I'm pleased with you. And that is such good news, but it is not the end of the story. The end of the story is that God's love has the power to turn us into people we were not before. God's love has the power to make us new, to make us into something that is bigger than we are. God's love has the power to give us a purpose that exists beyond our simple lives, to draw us into something that is bigger than ourselves and to make us ready for our role in that bigger thing. And the way that God's love does that, the place that God's love does that, where that happens is when God's people follow him together the place where God prepares us for a bigger purpose in the world, fishing for people, the place where that happens is at church. That's why church right there. And I think back to Seth Coker, who I mentioned at the start, eighth grade at the time, staring down this mob of frankly mean middle schoolers. And I know they're mean because they're insecure and they got zits and they're you know, clumsy and stuff. I know they're not mean because they're actually mean, but they're in middle school, and so they're frankly, they're mean, right? And he's staring down this mob of middle schoolers, and here he is walking into the middle of that kind of group with some of them laughing at him while he does it, praying to the God most high. How did Seth get ready for that? I know part of it's Seth's family. Seth's got these faithful sisters. Seth's got this amazingly faithful dad in Wasim. Okay, I think all that's part of it. But you know how Seth got ready for that? He got ready for it at church. You know, Seth grew up in this church. There was women who rocked him in the nursery. He went to all these Bible classes with Michelle and Stephanie, with Buster and Donnie and Hannah. He had these older folks at Highland who poured into him at camp by his, his camp counselors, and he had these Sunday school huddle leaders that just, poured into him and got him ready for that moment when he's out there in the middle of the people doing this thing for their sakes that they can't even see and don't fully understand, but it's for them. And how did he get ready for that? He got ready for it at at church. You know, his eighth grade speech class did not make him ready to pray in front of a bunch of middle schoolers. You know, eighth grade speech class can help you say, uh, less, less. You know, it can teach you the three points of a good speech. But eighth grade speech class cannot prepare you to walk into the meanness and the vulnerability and the cruelty of a middle school crowd and declare the word of God. But church can do that. It's because at church, the love of God works on us and makes us able to do things we never thought possible. The love of God transforms us. It makes us new. It makes us into these new people who can do things we never imagined. You know, it's the love of God that captures these guys and causes them to to leave their nets and follow Jesus together. It's the love of God that makes an eighth grader like Seth ready to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ Amid a bunch of middle schoolers, and it's the love of God that caused that young dad to be baptized last week, not just because he wants to feel the love of God, but because he wants to be made new. You know, he wants to have a purpose that's bigger than him. He wants to exist for something beyond himself, beyond his family. He wants to be part of something bigger than that, and he needs to be made ready, and so he gave himself to Jesus in baptism, and where did he do it? With the church. Like, it happens at Church when we hear this story of these first disciples who leave to follow Jesus, isn't it stunning what they leave behind? They leave behind their boats and their nets, which were their sources of income. They leave behind their dad, their family. They just leave them in the boat, and they turn and walk away. And I hear that story, and I begin to calculate the cost of following Jesus, and I'm thinking to myself, how did they possibly make those sacrifices? But apparently those guys didn't think this was a sacrifice at all. You know, here in front of them was this chance to become something more than fishermen. You know, to exist in the grace of God alongside brothers who were following Jesus together. And they didn't think twice about it. It wasn't a sacrifice at all to them. Do you realize, church, what a grace it is to be part of a group of people who are following Jesus together? You know, I think about our missionaries, our brothers and sisters in China, who have to do that in secret. Just a handful of them get together. I think about all those who in other persecuted countries who would give anything. Who would give anything not only to be on site with you right now, but to be able to watch online, not afraid that somebody's going to bust through the door. To be a part of a group of people who are following Jesus together is a grace. Because it's through that, through that community that God transforms us transforms us but let me show you one other thing before we wrap up here do you remember what jesus does just as soon as he calls these people together to follow him he starts sending them out these disciples this is chapter six he called at this point there's 12 of them he called for the 12 and he sent them out in pairs He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the journey except a walking stick, no bread, no bags, no money in their belts. And he told them to wear sandals but not to put on two shirts. He said, whatever house you enter, remain there until you leave that place. And if a place doesn't welcome you or listen to you as you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. And look at this. So they went out, and they proclaimed that people should change their hearts and lives. They cast out many demons, they anointed many sick people with olive oil, and they healed them. That's the why. God brings us together, not just so that he can change us. God brings us together so that he can change us and make us ready to go out in the world and fish for people. And I know how scary and intimidating that is to think about yourself. I'm going to go out there, I'm going to try to bring people Christ. I'm going to try to share the love of God, the love that God feels for me. I'm going to try to share that with other people. And it's not just intimidating if you're in middle school. It's intimidating no matter how old you are. And God says, I'm going to bring you together first so that I can make you into the kind of person who can do it. I'm going to make you into the kind of person at church who can be a part of something bigger, saving the world. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this, and he said this. He said, it's not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies, so the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is his commission, his work. Church, the reason I'm preaching this sermon this week is because we we have finally arrived back on site. I think a lot of us are breathing the sigh of relief. Praise God, we're back on site. But what I want you to hear today is that this is not the end. This is not the goal. This is the means through which God is preparing you and preparing me to do something extraordinary out there. Okay? This is not where the work is. The work is out there. It's here that God is doing work on us, but so that we can do God's work out there. Just this last week, there were about 30 volunteers from this church, most of them young adults, many of them young adults who grew up at this church, who went through our youth group, graduated, gone off to college, come back. About 30 of them who gathered for a training session, they're going to be trail guides for our youth group. And... Um, basically the idea there is that since we've been in this abnormal season of the pandemic, our our teenagers haven't been able to gather with as many adults who are pouring into them. You know what the single best indicator is that somebody who grows up in church will come back and continue to be part of that church? It's, It's if they have relationships with people who are older than them at that church. And so about 30 trail guides have volunteered to pour into our teenagers, even in this weird season when they can't be together normally. They're just going to contact them once a week. Why? Because those teenagers are trying desperately to live for God in a world that makes it really hard to do that. They're trying desperately to follow Jesus in a world that does not want them to do it. And so once a week, they're going to hear from somebody at least once a week that says, you are not alone. We're in this together. That's why church. And I believe the kingdom of evil will fall because of their work in those teenagers' lives.